a series in the book of Galatians. And Galatians is like that. Galatians is like mixing something poisonous into the truth of the gospel. Galatians is probably one of Paul's earliest letters. One of the the Apostle Paul's, he begins his ministry, his his, his missionary journeys. He, He starts to spread the gospel beyond Jerusalem and beyond the Jewish population. The first one really to do that to a large extent. And uh, along the way, he, he gets out of the Jewish culture to non-Jewish people. And as he continues to tell them about salvation through faith in Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, who died for their sins and rose again, there were others that came along after him. And they added in other things that seemed good, that seemed right. They added in additional things, what Christians ought to do or to be if they're going to be Christians. If you're going to be a Christian, if you really believe in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you not only believe in Jesus, but you also do this or you also do that. And they were all things that fit very well in the Jewish culture. But when the gospel went out from that Jewish culture into other peoples, to other places that didn't have that background, those same expectations, those same norms. Now all of a sudden we're adding other requirements into the gospel of Christ. That's what the book of Galatians is about. It's about being clear about the gospel because the gospel matters. If you add other things into the truth about Christ, it ruins it. We might make spiritual poison instead of giving spiritual life. Now, there's a video I wanted to start, uh, I, I wanted to start us off with this morning, just sharing a, a video that gives an example of some of the things, you know, the, the same issues that arose in that first century, Jewish to non-Jewish cultures, they might not be the point today, but there's things about our church culture. There's things about our background and our expectations of ourselves and other people that we can add into the gospel. Maybe we don't even realize we're doing it, but we actually can then confuse and hide the gospel from others as a result. So this video gives kind of a, a fun example of some of those things.
right? Those things we can do that, that, that complicate the gospel, that, that, that confuse, that get in the way. And you think, well, that's not the gospel at all. They come up with a, with, a, with a pattern of behavior and all the things that I'm supposed to try to do and to be to measure up to every, uh, other people's expectations. And, and it's, it's, it's fun the things that wind up as part of our church culture. And there's probably something in there that some of you want to talk to me about later. And, well, okay. But what the book of Galatians does is the book of Galatians does, does one thing. It says, be clear. The gospel matters. The gospel matters more than anything else. The gospel matters more than all of our stuff. The gospel matters more than our preferences, more than how we think people should behave. The gospel matters more than how I should behave because the gospel meets what I can never meet. Salvation through faith in Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to be clear We need to be very clear on what the gospel is. This first section in the book of Galatians, verses 1 through 10, what we're going to be looking at this morning, uh, tell us to be be very careful. Careful to to be clear about what the gospel is and to be careful about what the gospel is not, all right? So first of all, clear on what the gospel is. Let me read the first uh, five verses in the book of Galatians. I'm going to be um, in Galatians chapter 1. Verses 1 to 5, and if you're, if you're using one of our pew Bibles, I'll be on page 823. 8, 823. All right. Uh, Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not for men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's an interesting way that Paul starts this letter. He does some things that are very normal, but he does some things that are a little bit different. He starts right off, full authority, right right out of the, out of the chute. He says, Paul, an apostle. Not, not because I've been sent by some committee, not because I've been, I was um, elected by a call vote out of a congregation. I was not chosen by men in general. I'm not sent as the messenger of a man. I am sent as the authorized messenger, apostle, of God himself. I have been sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he comes with that full authority that he's not worried about what anybody else is saying because this gospel comes from God. It's God's gospel. It's not a church. It's not a denomination. We're not, we're not about, well, our church teaches this or that. What we're about is what God has said. So it doesn't come from CB Northwest. It doesn't come from the Baptist. It doesn't come from what's trending on Twitter. It doesn't come from what has gone viral in video. The gospel is God's truth. Now, that means it's non-negotiable, but it also means it's trustworthy. When a lot of, a lot of other things are up and down, it's, 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 it's this way and now it's this way. First the drought was caused by, by global warming and now a, now a government survey said that drought just, just in the last couple of years in the Midwest. No, global warming didn't have to do with that. We're not really sure if we got global warming now or are we swinging back towards global germ- global global cooling. We, we know it's, it's climate change. But in the midst of all this other stuff that changes, God's truth is trustworthy. It's not negotiable. We don't dream it up and we don't pick and choose, but we can count on it. 
It's not exclusive. It's not that here's a, little, here's a little corner where people have the truth and everybody else. He says, no, no, Paul, an apostle, but it's not just about him. It's not his gospel. It's God's. And so all the brothers who are with me, all the believers in Christ who are with me sharing in the same message, ours is not an exclusive either. It's not that our church has it right and nobody else does. I praise the Lord for churches all across our region that this morning, like here, are proclaiming the gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ who died for us to rescue us from this present evil age. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. I I actually printed out a a, a version of it in your notes, in your sermon notes, that I hope you got in the bulletin. The the gospel, and, and we go ahead and see it on the slide as well, being clear about the, what the gospel was, what verses 3 to 5 say is that the gospel is God's gift, first of all. That's what grace means. God's riches at Christ's expense, some people say, an acronym for grace. That the, 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 the salvation through Christ comes to us freely. It doesn't mean it's cheap. It costs the Son of God his own life. But to us it comes freely. I don't earn it. I don't give anything for it. I receive it. It's God's gift of restored relationship. The gospel is grace and peace, he says. That peace is the restored relationship that suggests what's coming at the end of this, of, of, of this sentence, that that relationship was disrupted, that we did not have peace with God. Well, to be honest, we don't have peace with ourselves, do we? I know what's wrong with me. You know what's wrong with you. We know what's wrong between us, which is as a result of what's wrong in us, right? And we know that we dare not show up in the presence of God on our own. But the gospel is that I can. It's not that I dare show up. I have been invited. I have been welcomed. I have been embraced into the very presence of a holy and a just and a righteous God, all-powerful, who created everything and who created me and who made me in his own image and who loves me, even though I am wretched. I am sinful. And yet God loves me. And I have a restored relationship with him because Jesus Christ is my peace. Romans 5 says we have, therefore, being made righteous by faith, be declared righteous by faith in Christ, we have peace with God, restored relationship. We were separated from God. We've been joined back together. The gospel is God's gift of restored relationship through Christ's death in our place, that he gave himself for us, it says. That's what verse 4 says. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. He gave himself Christ's death in our place. Substitutionary atonement is the theological term for that. But what it means is that he dies in my place. He became sin for me. I gain. You gain by, by believing in Christ as Savior. You receive the very righteousness of God. Some people say, well, somebody, so-and-so is going to barely slip into heaven. Nobody barely gets in. Nobody barely gets into the presence of God. You, you arrive into the presence of God in the full reception of his own son because that's the standing that we come to him in. Not my own. And not what I do since I have believed in Christ. And it's not about the change that God works in my life, the transformation. Now, we're not going to th- cast on the side. We're not going to leave that behind. Galatians is going to get that, that as well. But let's not get one thing in front of the other. 
that my acceptance into, before God is not at all based on my performance. My acceptance before God is because of his son, and so is yours. And that's why you are received abundantly. You are received completely and fully. God does not have to hold his nose to let any of us in because we come in the person of his son. We come because of Jesus. He gave himself for us to rescue us. Now that word rescue, that suggests that we were helpless. We, we, he rescues us. We could not help ourselves. We could not save ourselves. I, I thought of this just this last week when I was, uh, we were visiting our daughter in Springfield and to and from Springfield, we flew in and out of Kansas City. It's because I'm cheap and the tickets to Springfield are very expensive. If you drive a little bit from Kansas City, it costs a lot less, Okay. So you know I'm cheap. Well, while we were at Sp- while Kansas City on the way out, we visited a museum because I'm a tourist and I have to go see something. And so on our way out that last day, we went to a museum for the steamship Arabia. The steamship Arabia is just your run-of-the-mill steamship that went up and down the Missouri River. A lot of trade goods would be on this ship as well as, as passengers would travel the four days, six days, sometimes ten days to travel from St. Louis over to, to the other end of the, of the state of Missouri. Well, there's a steamship Missouri or, or steamship Arabia, what it originally looks like, a little steam packet. Now, that steamship in 18, 1856... A steamship, it ran into a snag on the Missouri River and it went down. And it went down fast. They barely got all the people off, but they got all of the people off. But most of the cargo and most, all the cargo and almost all of the luggage was lost. People's private goods, all the trade goods, they all went down very quickly. And because the, the bottom of the river was very, very soft mud, the, the hull very quickly got worked into that soft mud and sediment. So it began to bury itself at the bottom of the river. Sank, lost, no way to recover it. Okay, steamship Arabia. Well, time goes on, the, uh, the steamship and its cargo is lost. Well, a hundred years later. Now, during this time, the Missouri River has a mind of its own. It seems to move this way and that way across the valley. One time it would flood, and then then the actual flow of the river would be over here. Then the whole valley would flood again, and then the river would be over here. And so you never knew when the river was going to show up next until the Army Corps of Engineers showed up. They put in some dikes. They said, River, you stay here now. Okay? Well, where the river was when the steamship sank was over here, which is now a cornfield. A hundred years later, a couple, of, a couple of guys that worked in air conditioning, they were visiting some old guy's house, and he was telling the story about treasure hunting, searching for this old steamship. And he pretty sure he knew where it was. Turned out he was right. They went with some equipment, and they actually found where the steamship was, and they began an excavation and began to dig it up. I have a picture of that big mud pit. This steamship was stuck. There was no way the steamship was going to get itself out of there. The steamship had to be rescued, or the goods off the steamship, or what was left of the steamship. Now, there's a whole lot of details about that that I just don't have time to get into. But they recovered, out of digging out of this mud and mire, they recovered all kinds of goods from the cargo. And you look at it, and almost, it doesn't really do it justice. There's, there's a lot of China. Some of it was imported from France and from England. There's a lot of bottles, and there were even preserved, uh, there were pickles, and there were pie fruits, and there were about, I forget if it was 2,000 or 6,000 pairs of boots and shoes, 
all this stuff was recovered, but none of it was, none of this was King Tut's treasure. Very little of it was silver or gold. But you know what? It's precious. In fact, they built a museum. At first, they were going to raise the stuff up and sell it for what value it would be to various museums and collectors and so on. But once they begin to recover the stuff and they realize how much they were able to gather out of that initial cargo intact, this is a snapshot of an 1856 steamer. And they kept it all together and they made it a museum. And these things are, these things are valuable. These things are treasures. Not because they have that intrinsic value in themselves. They are treasures because of the trouble that was invested, the price that was paid to dig them up out of the miry clay. And there in that museum of the steamship Arabia, the Lord spoke the gospel to me. It reminded me of a Swazi word from Africa that's wangi paka misa. Oh, you probably don't know it. But it's the title of a song, and the song goes something like this. He lifted me up from the deep miry clay. He planted my feet on the king's highway, and that's the reason I sing and I shout, because Jesus came down and he lifted me out. Wangipakamisa, he lifted me out. You see, you and I are God's treasure. And you say, there's nothing fancy about me. There's nothing fancy about you. It's not that we have this intrinsic value in ourselves. Our value before God is that he made us in his image and he redeemed us at the cost of his own son. The price that was paid to lift you up out of the miry clay, there is your precious value before God. I'm just an old, I'm just an old metal pan. I'm just a not-so-fancy glass bottle or clay pot but great expense and great cost, cost that far, far um, um, exceeded the original value of all the goods in the steamship put together. A great cost to raise them up. How great the cost, you and I. That's the gospel. He lifted us up. He rescued us, helped us ourselves. He rescued us from this present evil age. Now, we think about that present evil age, and there's where we start to confuse the gospel. We think about it this way. We think, well, yes, okay. God has rescued us through Jesus Christ. He's rescued us from the evil around us. And so part of the gospel is linked to this no longer being like the evil around us. That confuses this present evil age. When did evil start? When did this evil age start? This is reminded to me, especially this time through Galatians, because so, so, so recently we were in the book of Genesis. So recently we were, we were reminded about the fall and how there's where evil entered humanity's experience. This age from the fall in Genesis 3 forward is this present evil age. You say, well, no, no, it's gotten a lot worse in the last 20 years, Pastor. Well, maybe it seems like it, but 20 years ago it was evil. 30 and 40 years ago, it was just as evil. We are in an evil, fallen, rebellious, and broken age. And in that brokenness, we cannot save ourselves. And that's why the gospel is God's gift of rescue. God's gift of restored relationship, rescuing us out of our sinful, broken condition. That's the gospel. That's what he has done for us, and so it's to his glory. 
God, verse 5, is to him be the glory because he did it. When we make, when we make our part in that gospel bigger, you know what we do? We, dis- we diminish, we decrease, we downsize the glory of God in the matter. It's not as much about God now. All of a sudden, it's more about me. That's a dangerous thing to do. That's the last thing that the worshiping heart in response to the Savior would want to do. How, how do we do that? How might that happen? What are some ways we can add antifreeze into the Mountain Dew? What are some ways that we can pollute the gospel, that we can change it in ways that actually poison it? We need, to be, we need to be clear about what the gospel is. The gospel is God's rescue of us in Christ, his gift of restored relationship because of what Christ did for us to rescue us from this evil age. And we also need to be careful about what the gospel is not. And that's the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is calling back to what the gospel is and pushing aside all of those things that we add in to what we might call the Christian life and confuse it with the gospel. So what the gospel is not, verses 6 through 10. Follow along with me back again in Galatians chapter 1. I'm astonished, Paul says. You You could translate that, I'm stunned. I am stunned that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. That's how you were called, by Christ's grace, not our works, not our efforts, not our measuring up, not our behavior. I'm stunned that you so quickly are deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It's not another Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusing and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, when I say again, if anybody is preaching a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, Paul's, Paul's been accused by others of saying, well, you know, Paul's watering it down. Paul's telling you less. Paul's just saying, just believe in Jesus and everything will be okay because Paul doesn't want to tell you the hard stuff about how you're supposed to behave and the things you're now supposed to do if you're going to be a Christian because Paul just wants, you, wants to please people and get people to follow him. Paul says, no, 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 no. If I went along with this, these are all the things that good Christians should do, stuff that these other people are telling you, they'd be happy with me. I wouldn't be getting the grief that they're giving me. I'm not trying to please those men. I'm not trying to please you as you have bought into this. I'm confronting you because I want to please God. We're going to talk about that last phrase a little bit more. But first, what are some of the ways? What are the issues in Galatians? I want to I go through a handful of verses really quick that show you the overall thrust through Galatians, how we get the gospel confused. I want to talk a little bit about how we can do that today. So Galatians chapter 2. Verses 4 and 5, this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy out the freedom we have in Christ and make us slaves. Did not give in to them so that the truth of the gospel. So there's others who have come in and have added something to the gospel. And Paul says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Uh, in, in, in Galatians chapter 3, get another glimpse. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? 
Is it by faith or is it by what we do, by keeping works of, of laws or rules or a big, thick book of guidelines? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal of perfection by human effort? Chapter 4. You are observing special days and months and seasons and years, keeping observances according to the law, doing these things to gain God's approval. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you, my preaching to you as, as the... the, the um, the reading out of 1 Corinthians reminded us earlier, my preaching to you would be in vain. If, we, if, if, if the gospel does not continue, Paul's efforts to this point are for nothing. Chapter 5. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery is the expectations. Do these things according to the law, according to any set of rules, and God will approve of you. We can't measure up. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, a key aspect of the law, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he's obligated to obey the whole law. You are trying to be justified by the law, have alienated yourselves from Christ. You have fallen from grace. That's the thrust of the book. Now we've gotten down to the core issue. Are you going to be acceptable before God by what you do or by what Christ has done? That's the issue in this book. One more verse, chapter 6, just to flow all the way through the book. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Law-keeping in various ways means anything. What matters is a new creation. We are not throwing aside the Christian life. The book of Galatians is going to speak to that. But it's going to be that life that naturally flows out of a redeemed heart. A heart that, that is turned to the God who has rescued in the freedom of worship. Not with a whole burden and list and rules of expectations. Okay, let me go back then. Being clear about what the gospel is not, we need to be very careful, in fact, about what the gospel is not. What are some of the ways we mix it up? The video kind of highlighted some of those, made some suggestions. The various rituals. Is it, is it about Jesus or is it about circumcision, for instance? Well, circumcision doesn't seem to be a big, a big um, issue in the church today, so I'm thankful that I don't have to spend much more time talking about that. But certainly faith and works. Various expectations. The things that people would say that if you're a Christian, this is the thing you should do and this is the thing you should not do. You cannot do that and be a Christian. Maybe, maybe an angel comes along and gives a revelation. That's actually not so strange at all. Paul predicts that 2,000 years ago and yet it still happens in our day, in our area. Just down the street, there's an angel that has come, and there's these golden plates, and there's another gospel, which is not another. It's a message of believe this and do this. And when you add the do this into the believe in Christ, it winds up with a lesser Jesus and a gospel that I earn rather than the gift from God. An angel, a new revelation, baptism. If I baptize, that will save me. If I come forward in a church, if I come forward in some other evangelistic event, do I change my life and live better? Maybe I stop drinking or I stop sleeping with this person or that. I get my life organized. Then I can come into God's presence. The gospel is you will never get your life organized. That we're lost. We can't do it. 
We cannot measure up. We cannot be good enough. Our trying gets in the way of our trusting in the Savior instead. There's an apple tree planted outside my office, outside the window. I can see it from there. It's not like right outside. But uh, the, one of the kids, uh, the kids' mission task force years ago planted that apple tree. I don't know, Dave, if you remember when that happened. But I'm, I'm so thankful for that tree. There, there are several folks that I've, I've stood in my office and we've looked out that window together. And especially in the fall, this works really good. I, look, I, I said, what kind of tree is that? And I say, well, it's an apple tree. And I said, well, well how do you know it's an apple tree? And he said, well, because it's got apples hanging on it, of course. You know what? I didn't make an apple tree. We went to Disneyland years ago. We bought some little apples. And we hang them on the Christmas tree year after year after year. You know, I have never been successful in converting that tree into an apple tree by hanging apples on it. The tree is not an apple tree because there are apples hanging on it. You can take the apples, you can go to Safeway, get some apples, hang them on any old tree you want. It won't make it an apple tree. Now, because it's an apple tree, if it's healthy, in the right season, it will produce apples. And Jesus says, you will know them by, your fruit, by their fruit. But you don't make them by their fruit. That's the difference. You see, the life of Christ flows then through us. When we have believed in him, then he produces his fruit within us, and we're going to get to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. But what I do and don't do is not what makes me a Christian, is certainly not what causes me to be accepted before God into his presence. Well, you say, but pastor, does the Bible say, didn't Peter tell people to repent and believe the gospel? Yeah, he did. But repent there means to turn, to change their minds concerning what they had believed about Jesus to what they believe now about Jesus. It doesn't say, okay, you people get your act, act organized, get your life straightened out, and someday, one day, when you are clean enough, good enough, sober enough, and straight enough, then you can come and join us. You see, the reason we need to be careful The reason we need to be careful is that's how people often perceive Christians and church today. There it is. That somebody is in a mess, and somebody suggests, well, why don't you go to church? And they say, well, why would I go to church? I feel bad enough about myself already. That that there is the the sense, and, and what is it that we do that conveys this, you're only welcome within here if you act like we do. If you do the things that we do, if you know how many deviled eggs you should take at the potluck. Why is it that we have these, this, this code within that people outside cannot understand, and it certainly prevents us from being on mission as a church in this very weird community that we find ourselves in. That if there's, it's been said, and uh, you probably have experienced this, uh, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew. Okay? Well, that means if the, if the preacher's not quite clear on what he's trying to say, the congregation doesn't have a clue. Don't say Amen. If you're not clear about what the gospel really is, and if you're not careful then out of what the gospel is not, the people around you will get it wrong. 
they will assume it's about the good things that you do that you are so proud of rather than the glorious Savior in whom you trust. If we, let me ask it this way. What, what causes you to feel good about yourself? Think about that just for a minute. Don't think in church terms, just in general. My life as a human, as a person, as a young woman, as a, as a, as a, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a daughter, as a mom, as a sister. What is it about you in your life that you feel good about yourself? Got it? There's some things I, I, I feel good about. Those are the areas that are a danger to you in confusing the gospel because the things for which you feel good about yourself are the things for which you think God feels good about you. God feels good about you because he has rescued you in Jesus. And it really ought to be that when I ask myself, what is it that I feel good about myself? The thing I feel best about myself is that I am so loved by a savior who gave himself for me. I am forgiven. And you know what? If that's true, to the extent that's true, how do we change how we relate and convey this, this unspoken? Somebody has said that, that the, uh, the unspoken aspects of our communication, the nonverbals, the expressions, the, the uh, mannerisms, the, um, the, the tone in your voice, all of these things make up at least 90% of the communication that happens. A lot of times you don't come across as genuine. You don't come, people don't believe, people don't hear because they're getting a mixed message of what they see, even if they can't put their finger on it compared to what's being said. People know when they don't measure up to us. And when they don't measure up to us, they sense as well, well, they would not measure up to our God, to our salvation. They are not welcome in our midst. But the problem is not with them. The problem is with us. Folks, we don't measure up. We don't measure up. None of us do. And if when I get that, guess what it causes me to do? It causes me to live in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. I'm going back to the prophet, which goes back to the law, and he says, God has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. It's to do justly and to love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. If I revel most in my forgiveness, what happens? I will be forgiving. If I love mercy because I love the mercy that has been given to me, guess what? I will then live, I will step out in merciful ways toward others. I will, I will exude mercy. You won't have to smell, spray church smell on me. I will smell like mercy. And I tell you what, there are a lot of people around us that are longing for that. There are a lot of people around us that are longing for forgiveness. You don't have to spend your time condemning them. They know. They know it's not right. Oh, but they, they have a sense of something that would be like mercy and forgiveness, genuine, not surface, but they don't see enough of it but they could see it in us. 
If that really settles into us, it will leak out of us all over the place in that 90% of your communication that you're not even aware of. There's a, there's a quote, you know? I have a quote in the bulletin on a sermon notes, and I'm going to borrow yours because I didn't bring it with me. Thank you, Josh. This is on the back of your bulletin. It was so good that I decided to, to, to reprint this on there for you. It came out of an article in, in, in April's Christianity Today, so you could look it up for yourselves. But let me read this. God is not a boundary around the edges of our lives. That's legalism. That is not the gospel. That is not how we'll find God. God is not a boundary around the edges of our lives. God is not a limit to our abilities that we are always striving to surpass or to stretch against. God is not the keeper of a boundary imposed by legalists who think we can be improved by an ever more encompassing set of rules. God belongs in the center. Were God merely an outer boundary of where not to go, we would be left with inner boundlessness an emptiness of heart, left without any genuine central organizing center for our lives. No central purpose, no compelling reason for being any more than we are as long as we are within the bounds. It's no wonder the legalistic life stagnates and must inflate itself with some grander view of one's own perfection than is warranted. I've got to pump up and inflate my view of myself as a good person that God surely must be pleased with because that is so stinking unsatisfying. It's only when heart centers on God and our life in glad obedience to God that we can truly be free. Then we will find no need for boundaries at all. Against the fruit of the Spirit, there's no law. The more we find ourselves needing to show our boundaries or feeling driven to escape them, the surer we may be that something is wrong at the center. At the center must be the gospel. We need to be clear We need to be clear about the gospel, which is God's gift of restored relationship through Christ's death in our place to rescue us from our fallenness in sin. We need to be clear about the gospel and be careful about what the gospel is not. Just this morning, somebody was telling me a story about um, a treasure. They were seeking a treasure. They prayed, Lord, would you show me a treasure this morning? They were looking in goodwill. That's, that's one place to look for treasure. You know where they found the treasure? They found the treasure in Pike Place Market instead. After not finding anything really worthwhile at Goodwill, they went on to Park Pike Place Market because they really had to get to Pike Place Market today. Didn't know why, but there they bumped into a person. And there the person, they're going on and on and on. And finally, the person asked one of the kids, where do you get your roots? And he looked up without batting an eye and said, Jesus. And she was like, oh, wow. And that just changed the conversation from that went from, I won't go into all the details, but... That was the treasure that she had had on her heart. I asked God to give me a treasure. I went looking in goodwill. God's treasure was when this woman said to me, thank you for bringing me Jesus this morning. That's our treasure. He, we hold this treasure in earthen vessels, in 
metal pans or clay pots like what was dug out of the miry clay from that steamer, but because we've been redeemed at great cost by our God and Savior, we are treasure, and his treasure of grace and forgiveness in us is what the people around us need more than anything else. That will sort out the other things that they ought to be and do. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to, Lord, we want to share this treasure. Lord, we, we would confess this morning that we easily have our own expectations about what Christians should be and how people should ask, act if they want to please God. Oh, Lord, would you guard us from pride that would exalt ourselves and would then bring down the glory of your salvation in Jesus. Lord, would you cause us to value more than anything else mercy and forgiveness, your grace and your peace. Father, as we value that, would you then show us, Lord, today, who it is that I could be gracious towards, who I could extend forgiveness towards. Lord, would you make me a person who lives in your forgiveness and your mercy in such a way that somewhere in there they will know Jesus They'll see him and want to know more about him. Oh, Father, make us instruments of your grace to the people around us. And we ask Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. And good morning.